on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Before today's discussion, here is some genre-related news. A new trailer dropped this week for Marvel's Eternals. You can view the trailer on one of the Fantastic Forum social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. Eternals opens in theaters on November 5th, 2021. An anniversary this week as May 23rd marked 27 years since the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. All Good Things was broadcast on May 23rd, 1994 and marked the end of the seven-year run of the show, which was the first spinoff from Gene Roddenberry's original Star Trek series. The show starred Sir Patrick Stewart and was the winner of 18 Primetime Emmy Awards and two Hugo Awards. The pilot for the CW's live-action Powerpuff Girls is being overhauled and reshot. Stars Chloe Bennett, Dove Cameron, Yana Peralt, and Donald Faison, in addition to the rest of the cast and writers and producers, will continue to be involved in the project as the network films a new pilot off-cycle. The CW chairman and CEO, Mark Pedowitz, expressed confidence in the cast and crew and referred to the Powerpuff Girls as a powerful property, adding the show had generated a lot of interest. He said, we want to get it right before we put it out. Aaron Taylor Johnson has been signed to play Craven the Hunter for Sony in a standalone movie featuring the character to be directed by J.C. Chandor. Craven is best known as having been an antagonist for Spider-Man. The film will bolster Sony's catalog of Marvel properties and is currently slated for a January 2023 release. And some sad news this week as Samuel E. Wright passed away on May 24th. The American actor was best known as having voiced the character of Sebastian the Crab in Disney's The Little Mermaid animated feature. He was 74. Today we're talking about some of the things that have happened since our last new show. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. Welcome to the show, fellas. Thanks for Thank having you. me back. Hey, nice to be back. Uh, well, always a pleasure to get together with you guys. But taking a look at, because it's been a few weeks uh, since we've done a new show, and um, there are some things that have happened between uh, now and then. Um, well, okay, one thing, for example, being uh, apparently... There is an X-Wing Starfighter that is out at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum's Udvar-Hazy Center in oh, Chantilly, yeah. Virginia. So you guys hear about, about that? that? Yep, that's going to be awesome. I'm vaccinated, the only they're lifting thing... rules, and there's an X-Wing, I'm there. <laughs> the, the only thing... 
the well, restoration area. How are you going to go there? Well, I mean, they're going to have it on display eventually. I mean, you know, but here's my issue. This is one of the new ones. You know, I mean, I would have wanted to see Luke Skywalker's X-Wing. Where is that? Get that out of the box. You giving me some kind of thing that Poe Dameron was flying around in? I mean, not that that's bad. An X-Wing, there's no such thing as a bad X-Wing, but... I'm you know. willing to bet you cash that one goes into the George Lucas Museum in L.A. That, that would be my bet. There's that, a George uh, Lucas Museum in L.A.? You don't know this? this no, he's I going, didn't know He's, yeah, he's in so a huge museum in L.A. Yeah, it's he basically, he's like me. He believes that illustrative arts of the 20th century and animation are the true arts of the 20th century. And he basically has been investing heavily in art uh, for a, a while. Wait, wait, so he's so, going to basically... So, so let me get this straight. Is this a place that somebody can go now or is he setting it up? He's building it. Oh, okay. It's a, it's that... a one beat dollar museum okay well no no but see that's why i didn't know about it i thought you were telling me this was a place i could actually go and i'm no, like it's, how in the hell did i not know this but it's just being established well okay i don't feel quite as bad now well it's huge because he believes that comic book art illustrative arts norman rock people like roman rockwell Sid mead should be basically treated like the gods they are of illustration and and He's setting up a museum to make that point. He, I, I'm, you know, I'm super pro artist. But one of the yes. things I was a problem with is that illustrative arts are treated like the second class citizens in the art world. Yes. And that's wrong. Still. Because mm -hmm. no, you're still right. It. And George Lucas believes, like me, that that's nonsense. It doesn't make absolutely no sense that these people who have done so much incredible art in the facetas of the world and things like that are not treated like the gods that they're supposed to be in the art world. And we we gone on this up the weird tangent where illustrative arts is treated like the redhead stepchild. And it should not be. It's such an important part of Americana and the art world in general. And I want to see more, and Japan, and specifically with all the contributions in terms of anime and art that they have done in the 20th century, I want those creoles also, and I'm pretty sure in Japan they're treating way better. No, the way, they, don't, the they don't think about it the same way. Like, they, they don't even have, like, a... See, here in the States, you know, you got people buying up people's art and keeping it, and it's kind of a nice, like, you know, way to keep your money and also charge your fandom, but over there, they don't the manga car doesn't care about the original pages. The point is the story. Really? Like they don't care. Like it's part of. Like it's not the finished product. It's the the story is the finished product. Yeah, they and they're the selling story. stuff there. I mean, those things, those things sell. Manga sells. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's a you know you can see sales and stuff, and they have shows for certain people. Like you can go to a. And a show for uh, Miyazaki or you can Otomo, and they have books and monographs and all that type of stuff. Like, you know, they they get their respect. Um, but I get I I don't know the the whole fine art versus commercial art is an old thing because a lot of times it's because as a commercial artist you get paid when yeah. you make fine art you're not making art to make money you may yes. get to a point. Where you're paid and people buy your work, 
and you could build up. But remember, it's like you become yeah. a commercial artist not to starve. But they yes. that girl lost my respect once you had an artist in Miami using you know putting bananas on a wall with masking tape and basically saying give me one hundred thousand dollars. Wait, wait, but he was getting it right. He got it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, there you go. The point. That's the point. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. It's like you How really gonna you pay a... respect for that? I mean, yeah, like he's saying somebody paid for that. Like literally, someone paid. Like he knew what he was doing. Like yeah. you're getting this point that the person doesn't know what they're doing, or what they're trying to say. That's a different. Remember, like sometimes fine artists communicate different ideas than what you would in a in an illustrative piece of work or a comic or anything like that. Like it's two different types of communication. So, um, but the problem is, I, I think something happened in the later half of the 20th century where the fine art world went up the deep end, and I, I don't want to basically trash. Uh, commercial art because there's a uh, sorry a, uh, fine art because there's a lot of very good fine artists out there but there's also a lot of bs and it drives me nuts when the bs basically is the one that gets traction uh, well so wait wait so, like, so for instance the guy who worked for the simpsons the guy's name was uh, bill morrison he, he's famous for having that big picture that's reminiscent of Sergeant Peppers of all of the simpsons characters and an artist named cause his real name is brian donnelly like basically traced the thing and put X's over the character's eyes and made 15 million off of that. And yeah, but he does it. He does it with a lot of things. So that's yeah, part they, of the point of re. That's a very long conversation about the nature of cause and uh, how graffiti ties yeah. into commercial art and fine art and society more than the time that we have for this show. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say this: I disagree with that point because I have a long history of watching Cause's work. From the streets of New York City to being able to sell something for $15 million. When you almost get put thrown into jail for getting up to a point where they respect enough to pay you $15 million to basically paint The Simpsons, which The Simpsons is kind of along with it because it helps promote The Simpsons, I sit back and I see what the game is. Well, Yuli, one thing I'm going to say, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about the subject. Um, do you know where I've seen some of the most exciting um, fine art in Puerto Rico? They, in Puerto Rico, I've been seeing a lot of fine art in mural paintings. Uh, graffiti artists who become transitioned to mural painters. And holy moly, they're doing some incredible work in terms of fine art. And they, they are not going to make a dime out of it. But it's incredible, wow, art. You see it and you basically say... It, this is impressive. So um, let me let, let me ask you a question, though, Roberto, and and then we'll we'll move on from this if nobody has anything else they want to add. So um, when you talk about how you're upset about what's going on with fine art uh, here in the 21st century, and actually I think you said it started um, it, later in the 20th century, um, may I assume that what you're really talking about is uh, your uh, your observation that somehow the artistic integrity of the artists who are producing the work has been compromised somehow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Because that it became, yeah, it, I respect a lot more a street artist, a graffiti artist who tags a wall and does it as an expression of himself. 
than a guy who puts a banana on a wall. <laughs> See, <laughs> with, with, like, and say, but they're doing money. two See, different things. Okay, yeah, yeah that's I, a yes. really extreme example. Like that's yeah, that one guy made money off of that banana thing with the duct tape. But like, but, but I have a friends of mine who runs the galleries, and he um he burned out completely. God bless him, because he said that he's a fantastic guy to himself. And it broke his heart specifically seeing what's where the fine art world is specifically in terms of what was selling, what was not. And I, I dude, look, I, I, I'm 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 with Julian on this. You got to appreciate the game with some of this stuff. Yeah. And and hey, look, the fact that some fine artists have learned how to leverage this more like commercial artists. I mean, because hell, let's face it. I mean, I took I, shoot. I didn't always have a lot of respect for commercial artists in terms of the stuff that they were doing. As somebody who considers themselves to be an artist, there was some stuff that I looked at, even though it was commercial art and somebody was getting paid for it, I'm like, damn, that's a damn shame that somebody is getting paid to draw frickin' Twinkie the Kid, you know? I mean, that's like, damn, you know? Like, my biggest thing, and just to go back to the cause thing for just a quick second, I'm not going to harp on it, I swear to God. My biggest issue was, is that, like like Julian said, hey, make your money. That's great. That's fantastic. And I'm glad that he did that. And honestly, that gave much more context to what he is as an artist because he was a street artist. He was a graffiti artist first. But, like, to take from somebody else who had created something and that guy's not getting anything for it and he's making 15 million essentially off of somebody else's work, like, more or less. It, there's a lot of gray area there. There's a lot more to it. That's the thing that bothers me is when people are essentially standing on the shoulders of others to make their money. But again, too, you can't fault the guy for making $15 million. That's, Somebody that's wanted to pay art. him for it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, like, yeah. you also got to think who yeah. else got cuts. The gallery got 50%. Go. The yeah. Asia probably yeah. got 10 yeah. to 15%. Yeah. He didn't make $15 million. You also don't know how much he had to pay at the time uh, the Fox Corporation. Oh, yeah. using oh so he so he did pay licensing fees or something to you, him. I'm not it was you can't be that, plagiarism. You can't be that big you have and without doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you want to exactly. know what's there funny about that is what's the best way to like make that not what's the best way to not turn this into a thing where it's like, man, Fox is making all this money and the artist is not, is for them to deflect from that. That Fox got paid for that too. That's, yeah, that's the perfect way to make yeah. make them not look like the bad guy in all of this. Mm-hmm. Well, as long as it ain't plagiarism, you know. Because yeah. I, mean, I was frankly, changing. I thought that's what we were talking he about. He does it. He does his gloves and he does the X's. He started with doing Mickey Mouse work yeah. in the late two thousands um, when he moved from street art, which you know he wasn't popping, and moved into the vinyl toy thing, which is an entirely different destabilizing force within modern fine art. Was the collectible market. But again, that's a long, longer conversation. Yeah. But uh, I'm just saying, part of the art is communicating and, and, and reflecting things of the world. And I would say this, I know that you, Roberto, may not care for it, but sometimes when a person takes a banana peel and <laughs> duct tapes it to and duct tapes it to a canvas in Miami during Art Basel, it's not about the banana peel. It's about Look at where we are at the art world at the time. Look at what Art Basel is at the time. What is this about? It's not about art. It's about money, spectacle, and hiding millions of dollars into assets that are untaxable. Very that much. is the point of the piece. So the piece mm-hmm. works. 
the piece is genius. This is mm. you're not going to get I, that painting a representational painting in oils like Rembrandt about a person looking at a piece of art holding a bunch of money. No, you get some rich person to buy a banana peel on a canvas. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Mike Lunsford and Julian Lytle and Roberto Ortiz. And we've kind of gone down the rabbit hole talking about uh, art, <laughs> but um, yeah. No. Anyway, it, it will look, look. So we're running that into the ground. But um, <laughs> I uh, something else that I had wanted to pivot to, uh, you know, again, yet another one of these things that has happened, uh, you know, in the intervening weeks when we haven't been doing a, no sh a new show. Um, Kevin Smith apparently yep. is doing a. Um, well, I don't even want to call it an updated Masters of the Universe because, according to reports, Kevin Smith's story picks up immediately after the events of the last cartoon from like 1986 or whatever in the hell it was that He Man came out. And uh, he's, among others, uh, the vocal talents of Mark Hamill and Lena yep. Headley are involved in this Masters of the Universe revelation. And there were some images that were released online um, earlier this month. And I'm just curious uh, what you guys thought about it. The toy line looks good. <laughs> you know, uh, Julian, you had a very interesting comment <laughs> about this. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely uninterested in a, in, a, in a concept that was made for four-year-old boys now being marketed and made for 50-year-old men. <laughs> like go get me go get me that new uh kid he man show they're working on with the big crazy <laughs> armor with the with the cg cartoon face that look like all the other cg action hero faces mm. like it, it looks the other he man cartoon looks like the guys who made the 2012 ninja turtle cartoon and it was like hey go make he man and they're like okay and yeah it looks like action figure it, i see like i don't I have a feeling is the He-Man cartoon, the Masters of the Universe Revelation, is gonna, you know, have more themes and be more serious and have story yeah. arcs and, uh, you know, backgrounds to what characters are doing. And it's just like, y'all know, we've all seen the Toys That Made Us episode about Masters of the Universe. The dudes just they pulled a cat from another sword, another toy line. And made him battle cat, and they was just trying to make stuff that three year old, four year old boys was fine is awesome. His name is He Man, <laughs> He and Man. <laughs> like, what are y'all doing? You want to do something serious? Go make a new Conan show. Yeah, it's but yeah. He Man though. Yeah, he rides battle cat. You know what always confused me, and I didn't really watch it. I'll admit, you know, I was. But you were too old always, for it, Ulysses. Well, exactly. But but what confused me was all right. So He Man's secret identity was Prince Adam, yeah. but he looked almost exactly the same. He didn't wear a mask. It was he just he had like a harness on when he was He Man, and he had like a shirt and a vest. Pink when he was shirt, Prince Adam. The pink shirt when you were 
he was the same size man. It wasn't exactly. even like he, was, he wasn't even space ace or nothing. Where like he get really small and then he get really big. Yeah. Like, nah, he yeah. was literally the same dude except his shirt was off and he had a metal harness on. He's yep. the little, little the little animation where they put all the money to it. I have a power. power. That's yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cringe. Same haircut, same same everything. Same everything. Yes. So Cringer yes. running away, like not wanting to be Battle Cat, turning to Battle Cat, fire. Orko, fire. Skeletor got Skeletor as ah. They look, hey man, you big bumbling buffoon. That's that was Liddy. That is Liddy. When you get older, you you rock with Skeletor because he's like, look at this big muscle bound buffoon. Interrupting my plans. You be like, that's right, yo, Skeletor. You go around these stupid idiots like like Beastman and Stinkor screwing up your freaking ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I was going to do like a comedy, like a serious, like an adult comedy, focus on oh. Skeletor He-Man, it would be super fire. But nah, they ain't doing that. Like, it was a Skeletor show. That's a really good idea. Yeah, do well, and they, they surely use the same hurt. mold the Skeletor <laughs> body that they use for He-Man. But, uh, yeah. Well, hey, were, what... were, were you hip to his origin? Because he had a really crazy backstory, that Skeletor thing. They did like... it. They showed it in the um, 2002 trade. Yeah. Uh... It was fire. I was like, oh. I was like, oh, Skeletor. Oh, no wonder you so angry. You should <laughs> Actually, that guy the face off? Oh, no. That was a very good He was all, like, he was, like, handsome and stuff, and, like, his face got burned off or something like that? Yep. Yeah. I See, when I was a kid, when I was little, because He-Man came out right when I was growing up. Like, I liked He-Man when I was little, but, like, I never really cared after that. I didn't watch any of the other shows, and, like, I like the voice cast for this new thing, but honestly, I I don't really care. I'm with Julian. Honestly, I'd rather see some new Conan. I'd rather see something that's interesting, because Ah, this whole thing, He-Man, Transformers, there's entire series, G.I. Joe, for that matter, they created TV shows just to sell toys, and... To a certain degree, it worked really, really well. And we all have this nostalgia for these shows that really weren't that good. And <laughs> that's the only thats the only thing they're banking on. They are making millions and millions and millions of dollars off these things, off these crap franchises, because we had them as toys when we were kids. And they know, and it kind of makes me feel like insulted in a way where it's like, wow, you, you guys really think that we're that cheaply bought? But then I see like a new um, Sword of Omens from... Thundercats, and I'm like, yeah, I might have to get that. So yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I am not cheaply bought. Like a dead money on a Dinobots that turned into a giant robot together. I'm not even gonna lie, I, dude. I would probably do the same thing. Ah, because <laughs> I always wanted it. So, like, I understand why they're doing it. It's still whack, though. Like, yeah. I do, oh no, do I'm I, not happy about giving them my yeah. money because, like, I literally have Luke Skywalker's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. Because when I was a kid, I wanted one, and now that Disney has Star Wars land, and I can go get one, and I can swing it around, and it makes all the same note. Yeah, hell yeah. No, I get it. Like, <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but I have that same nostalgic twinge, too. Guys, <laughs> but one thing that I need to mention specifically is that, uh, putting aside He-Man, uh, the universe is created for G.I. Joe and Transformers, both by Mark Wolfman, who basically did a lot of work for uh, Transformer, and Larry Hanna. Who did a lot of work for G.I. Joe, the mythology, uh, especially, it's good. Uh, specifically in terms of how 
the concept of the characters was created and the the whole back backstory of them. That's why it's this it still can be minted for the good work they did. Um, I, so that's why I don't think you can downplay that the mythology of the show of those uh, specifically yeah, yo, uh especially Marvel era and Transformers really. How can I say this? Um, the TV shows was junk, but the mythology was compelling. There's, kind of, there's some, there's well, some, there's some good things that can be taken away from. No, and I, I completely agree. Like you had some people who were who took it seriously, and other people were like, "Look, we don't really need all of this. We just want to sell toys." And again, too, like they're they're like a one that I, a show that was made for this, and it was the wrong audience. It was called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. I don't know Woo! if anybody you know. watched this. Bye. You know, bro. Thank you. Right? That was, a, that was a dark ass show. Dude. Okay, wait, wait. Mike, hold that thought yeah. because that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break. Of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station, an initiative of Arlington Independent Media. And it's a place where you can actually get involved and learn how to produce radio. Visit the website at WERA.FM or ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how. Uh, so we've got a lot more to talk about. And in fact, when we come back, we'll be coming straight back to Mike and uh, what he was talking about. But for right now, uh, don't touch that dial. And we'll be back with more Fantastic Forum right after this. And welcome back to the Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington, I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle and Mike Lunsford and Roberto Ortiz. And when we took the break, Mike was getting ready to talk about, uh, and in fact, as Julian had uh, squealed, and what was it, Captain Power and, uh, and, Power the, Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Of the future. Oh, <laughs> Captain you know, Power and the Soldiers of the Future. No, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, oh my live action. Yeah. Okay, have you heard Oh, that was live action? Yeah. Yes. Really? And right. boy, for all the world, that this was going to be a cartoon based on what you're telling me. Yes. It's considered to be very influential, actually. Yeah. Believe it or not. It was, it was, I was young too when it came out, but I remember that first off, they, they really hosed this show because it was some high concept stuff for, for what was meant to be a kid's show, but it was set in like a dystopian uh, yeah. future where like basically computer, like not computers, but robots had taken over. It was kind of like Terminator in a sense. Um, and it was really like, it was some really, really deep storylines for what was meant to be kids television. And the toys were awesome. Like they interacted with the TV. Like the light flashing from the TV would actually like make your toys react. It was it was so much fun. It was so cool. And it only got one season. It got hosed because it got stuck in syndication, and they would play it at like 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So like well, no one saw it. But you know what? That that show basically made Babylon Five happen, right? Because the creator of Captain Power was John. Uh, John I cannot. Michael, Michael Straczynski. Really? Yes, he came from Ghostbusters to that, and that was basically they said, "Oh, this guy can do live action," and Babylon Five, 
And that show was considered to be very influential for kids' cartoons, for kids' shows, because it had a compelling storyline. Characters died. Uh, it was it was like reading a comic book of the era on a TV show. With a boy, and it was one of the first shows that used computer graphics regularly. That's for right. The, yeah. Well, I, I, when you mentioned Babylon Five, I had assumed that that was going to be the main connective point. No, Captain Power came first, and then Babylon Five. No, no, yeah, no, I understand that, but because you, you had said that um, they, they, you know, Captain Power was kind of the foundation, and so without yeah. knowing, I, I had assumed it was the computer graphics, because, you know, I mean, Babylon 5 pioneered that stuff. I mean, up till then, you know, it was all about the models and photographing the models, and uh, and they didn't they didn't do any of that for Babylon oh. 5. And it was all computer graphics, all computer generated. To tie this in together, too, um, one of the um, producers in the development team of Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future was Gary Goddard, who also was involved, if I remember correctly, in the Masters of the Universe movie starring Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. So, yeah, he was all over that 80s toy stuff, like... And even that movie. I know people trash that movie all the time. I love that movie. I will sit down and watch that anytime that comes on. It's because it's you a it's a fourth world that. movie. It's, Thank it's, you. Because it's, it's, it's a new guys movie. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Because <laughs> Gary Goddard even said that he stole a lot of those ideas from um, Jack Kier Jack Kirby's New Gods. Yeah, like it's yeah. He should have been right. It's like there's even a freaking mother box. In, I mean, the whole point is of them is chasing a mother box. Yeah. And, come on. Well, you could also say technically, if you if you read the end of uh, the end of New Guys with Orion, towards the end, you can see he kind of influences He Man because Orion's hair gets longer. And I was sitting there looking, I was like, Yo, did was he? He's Mama's bit. Oh, it's not complete. like different, <laughs> but I was like eh, He Man. Okay, but yeah. You know, there are some shows, you're right, but I think the difference with what Roberto was saying in regards to the backstories for uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe is because they work with Marvel to create those backstories because that's, that's what Marvel does. And also, when you think about, especially G.I. Joe in the current standing with the way the world works, yo, it was propaganda. I knew it was propaganda when I was like 12. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it just happens that a lot of it was the basis of it really did work in a geopolitical sense in terms of like arms dealing uh terrorist groups cults military things they don't they don't have to follow any rules it's interesting i'm also surprised that they're choosing to only sell us toys as adults and they haven't decided to make like an adult cartoon of any serious length off of gi joe that's a fun very class. interesting they tried once on the Cartoon Network about 10 years ago? It was shorts, yeah, though. It's not really... They weren't really going hard in the paint, though. Like, like Prestige. It was short. It was short, uh, it was short, short. It was done by the same guy who's doing Castlevania. Uh, what's the name of this guy? The comic book writer. Um, who's got in trouble recently. Ah, uh, crap. Uh, anyway, but the sh that show was good. Um... I guess the only reason they haven't done it is because of Hasbro that may have a problem with it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Hasbro. I'm not talking about any other company. But like in terms of Transformers, what a lot of people don't think is that there's always new Transformers cartoons. It's just we don't always get the Transformers cartoon. 
Some of them yep. always happen in Japan, and they do skew very much for a younger age. But that's yep. the one thing they make sure. Until very recently, with this new Netflix show, I think it was the first time they really seriously decided to make a Transformers cartoon specifically for old people. Yeah, most of the time when they make a new Transformers cartoon, yo, it's still it's still for the kids. I this the most recent one, I think that was out. I don't I forgot what it's called. It's the only one I haven't watched. The last one, Robots in the Skies, with Bumblebee as the leader, and then there was Prime, and that mm-hmm. was Fire. And then, you know, it was a Robots in Skies in 2002 that was based on, they just transformed the, the you know, the Japanese show. They just dubbed it. Then it was like Armada, and they had that, like, video game. Yeah, Transformers is always out here because they're always trying to get you to buy, like, new robots. Like, <laughs> they always try to get the kids to buy more robots. And then they did the, the, the smartest thing in the world is they made a movie. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. And they got a grown man to be like, I want a car. I want this Camaro. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And they get you to fifty thousand dollars on a car. I used to work part time. I used to work part time for a car dealership on the weekends, and we would do this thing called DXing. DXing is like, let's say you're in DC, you order a car, you want the yellow Bumblebee Camaro, right? But the mm-hmm. only one they have is in Detroit. I would drive up to Detroit with my father-in-law. We would pick it up and drive it back. I am not even kidding when I say that I probably drove half a dozen yellow bumblebees wow. back to DC. Powerful movie wow. franchise. It made so many people so much money. Yeah. So much money. <laughs> but but somebody might make the argument that uh, Hasbro is doing an adult uh, cartoon of G.I. Joe with the movies in a way. Uh, 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 no, that first one, it got ripped bad, but that first one was was fun. Like, yes, it was an awful movie, but that felt like watching the cartoon, like in live action. I hate to say this, but I really like the one from with The Rock. Really like that It was one. fun. It wasn't yeah. great, but it was fun. Yeah. Thank hey, you. You know, since since we're mentioning this, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you guys about this trailer for the Snake Eyes movie that just uh, that because the trailer just dropped like last week for this new Snake Eyes. But what was it you called it? Pretty Snake Eyes. Pretty Snake Eyes. He's there so the ladies will go see Snake Eyes. Like, oh. <laughs> Ghost in this, okay. <laughs> Crazy rich Asians in this, let's go. <laughs> but you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of action in that trailer. I mean, they do a lot of action. They're going after the John Wick slash Fast and the Furious crowd with that one, uh, obviously. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Why not? They have nothing to lose, honestly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and clearly, GI Joe is a very robust franchise. You know, because yep. <laughs> you all were talking about, yeah, you like the one with the Rock, but if that second movie didn't kill it, I don't know what will. <laughs> Actually, the weird thing is that there's um, it's like there's certain things that are very well done. Like I love the Cobra Commander in this version. Oh boy, the the custom design and everything on him was like pitch perfect. It's like chef kiss. It's like great. But there was other areas where it looked very well produced and in other areas it looked cheap. And it's like, why am I seeing the disconnect between some things that look very good and some things that look really cheap? What's going on in this movie? And I, especially like there were like two movies going on between what was happening with the, the regular G.I. Joe's and Snake Eyes that was, was going on his own little adventure with ninjas. 
Uh, yeah, that was yeah, fun. That was fun. Thank you. And that's why they decided to make a movie out of him because I wanted to see more of that than the other stuff. <laughs> Well, I, th I think it's just because it's a ninja. It's easy to it's easy to sell a ninja, and the current landscape it's easy to sell that. Like, oh yeah, it's a ninja. He's gonna fight other ninjas. Oh yeah, Skull is kind of a ninja, right? We could throw her in there because they need a love interest. Yep. Uh, it's yeah, funny how yeah. she was, was supposed to be the love interest for Duke, and, and all of a sudden Snake Eyes. Well, wait, he was he was it was it's Duke in the cartoon, Snake Eyes in the comic, because comic uh -huh. people let me know, like. It's a that's a, a completely different universe. There's like there was discrepancies for people who read the Marvel comic versus people who only grew up watching the cartoon. They're like, no, 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 no. It's Scarlet, it's Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes trained Scarlet. That's why they got a connection, blah, 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 blah. In the cartoon, you just think, oh, the blah white man, the red-haired woman, and then Flint, a cool, cool Flint had the brunette lady who threw <laughs> the javelins in the middle of a combat. And you like whatever, and then you thinking like, how come Cover Girl's never in the episode, but she's in the intro? How come we don't get no Cover Girl? Yeah, see now I'm 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 totally behind on all of this because when when I was coming up, GI Joe, it wasn't a team; he was a guy. Yeah, you know? it was one and dude, was, and he the adventure a team, you and know. And yeah, big, and he had no storyline. He had no real gats. He had no parachutes. You know what I'm saying? He had no real vehicles. He had a no yeah, vehicles, but he have yo, when they went to little little G.I. Joe, that's when it becomes something. Little G.I. Oh, yeah. Joe, when they like you got helicopters, you got spaceships, you got aircraft carriers, you got you got stories, you fight terrorism, you out there listening to Reagan on TV, you in it, you believe in America. Like <laughs> that's that's what I loved about the, the movie though, was like it, it captured that same feel. Because it was that cheesy, over-the-top Americana. Like, they're playing Kid Rock's American Badass. I'm like, all right, I see what they're doing here. I, okay, all right, I'm 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 down for this. But, like, talk about them toys. Like, those were status symbols when you were a kid. It, you knew somebody had money when they were like, I have the aircraft carrier. And you're like, what? Are you yep. serious? I like, I got to go to your house, dude. Yeah, like, that's... That's when you knew somebody was like had had some had some money. Like and now we got old men saying, I got the aircraft carrier. Other old men's like, Oh, is it meant so Exactly. Yeah. And that's where we get in this problem we is now. Yeah. Because little kids yeah. don't care. They don't even got no G.I. Joe's. The G.I. Joe's cost twenty five dollars a piece. And if I'm a parent, I ain't buying no twenty five dollar action figure for no kid. It's gonna throw all around. I'm gonna get get them a WWE action figure for ten dollars. Or six dollars if you're at Walmart. Mm, yeah, they can take it. Roman Reigns, <laughs> baby. But that's one of the brilliant things Marvel has been doing with the Marvel franchise. That they make sure that the toy lines specifically cover each and every one of the age ranges. They have a toy line for little children, toy line for teenagers, and toy line for adult collectors. They're very good. Yeah, yeah. But remember, remember, Roberto, who makes those toys? Okay, go on. Hasbro. Yes. You don't gotta make a kid G.I. Joe line. I'm just saying, like, like they do that, but they also started with the old people first, and then now they're getting all the other people into the Marvel Universe. It's a different... Hmm. It's a different path. Like, they spent all that time getting all us to buy comic books and say comic books is great and doing all these characters, 
and it was it was translated to the movie and then we sold everybody the movie now everybody loves the movie and then nobody can watch anything else but marvel movies so their marketing strategy is different but either way both companies still win because if you want to buy the five dollar spider-man with the big head guess who's making it the same people who make gi joe for old people well but the thing is uh, transformers is an example of a franchise that it's covers the full demographics well i have a nephew who is what how is he now he's like six and he's obsessed with bumblebee he wants everything bumblebee and i don't know how they got to him but they got to him good and he loves transformers and he loves his bumblebee and he wants that and sonic those are the big two things in his universe sonic but you know that that is all so smart because i'll tell you what when i was a kid and i mean i couldn't i was looking for the mach 5 from speed racer you know as an anime show damn nothing like that you know in fact you couldn't even find a damn race car with a five on it gigantor <laughs> you couldn't find no gigantor toys it was like oh man you know in fact even a lot of american stuff you know you couldn't find toys from these cartoons or these shows i mean you know which was part of the reason it was such a big deal when amt first made that USS Enterprise model. And nobody had seen any marketing like that. You know, for the TV show, it's like, what the heck? I mean, they sold over a million units of that model. You know, this is like 1967. They're oh, selling wow. this thing because people went nuts over this model. You know, I mean, in fact, that's how they got the Klingon ship because AMT was like, damn, we need another model. You know, can you guys make another ship so we can have another model? And they're like, tell you what, you pay for to the construction of a model for the Klingon battle cruiser, and you can do that. And they're like, done, you know? It's like, so I, I really admire the marketing that, because now you got Happy Meals and their tie-ins, and you can get T-shirts and mugs and toys and you name it. You can get it, because they know Roberto's nephew wants it. <laughs> and he doesn't but, care what he got to do to get it. But but the thing I have to respect is they must be doing something right if the kids really like it. I agree with Julian that a cartoon for a middle-aged man is not going to appeal to a six-year-old. And they must be doing something right that these kids say, oh, this speaks to my soul. I want it. And I love it. <laughs> 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 but to admire that. It's, it's something you. well done. I'll tell you yeah. something oh, that they've, oh, wait, they've wait, done. Wait. Hold, yeah, hold that thought for just one second, because I'm a little behind reminding everybody that you're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Roberto Ortiz and Julian Lytle and Mike Lunsford and... We're talking about all kinds of things, but Mike, what were you getting ready to say when I interrupted you? One of the things that I've noticed that they've done, and it's it's been really effective, you've actually seen a lot more toys being sold. Uh, look at Funko Pops. And one of the things that makes Funko Pops as popular as they are is they've started to realize that toy manufacturers need to embrace what Japan has been doing for years, and that's going for the cute, the kawaii culture, and making your characters cute. Because people love, like, oh, I love this violent, insane character who's now adorable. And, like, that's become a huge thing. Disney does it with almost all of the new Marvel stuff that they're doing. They have 
cute versions of the superheroes. And those sell, I would say, probably better than like your normal, like cool action figures that look tough and muscular and ripped and have a million weapons and stuff like that. Yep. Yep. That's uh, you got the mind basically how Funko saw that hole in the market and just went at it with gusto. It's like real Still God. don't understand it. Those things just look completely ugly to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like, them. I don't like them personally. But Marvel does a, or uh, Disney does a line called um, Disney Toy Box, where they've done Star Wars characters, they've done Marvel characters, and they've done some of their like Pixar and other Disney characters. And I have, uh, I ended up picking up uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America, and I picked up Wanda and Vision after they released those. And they're they're meant for kids, but I love the art style. They're cute, but also like they're super collectible. Like you can put them all in all sorts of great poses, man. It's they're they're awesome. Yeah, one of the cool things is that um, the toy designers of this generation um, ha- are going really good. I'm not saying that the toys basically back in the 60s and 70s or 80s were bad, but it's kind of cool now that the toy designers are allowed to basically try different styles with the toys that not necessarily they have to go to the hyper-muscular, but they can actually try more stylized designs. And, and I, I've been... and it, You can tell that whoever sculpted this is a fan because... This looks cool. It's like the kind of thing that if I was sculpting for that market, I would say, I want to make it something cool that I would like to buy. And you can tell by watching the toys. I, I sometimes just go to the toy stores just to admire the work of the toy designers on how cool it looks. And it's impressive, seriously. Yeah, I think it's just because technology got better and, yeah. they, and they sculpt things on computers now. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I still look at those old, like, 77 star wars action figures that are just like they don't look anything like the characters like, trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but like yeah and, and the ones that we get now where yeah i mean you get ones now like i have a i have a luke skywalker one from return of the jedi and like the grimace on his face as he's swinging the lightsaber like it, it's the things that they can do with these action figures now is just outstanding korea has a toy line uh what's hot toys i believe is the name of the company that those two hundred dollar figures, more, oh my, more you, you under you underselling them with those <laughs> things. <laughs> but well, and they, they can sell this stuff now, you know. Yeah, they got. But in Asia, they've been doing that for a while. So like them yeah. bringing it over here, where it's now a market where they can sell you, um, as soon as you can pre-order as soon as the last episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh. Sam Wilson, uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America, that looks because the thing of it is, it's one six scale and it has like actual cloth uh, <laughs> costumes and it's metal. Like they hit you upside the head for like three hundred fifty dollars, and then you don't even get it for like ten months. Like I understand, <laughs> like as a person who buys like toys from Japan, what y'all, what they doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm t- the the like it's not even fake. Like what they put out. Like there's other toys for other companies like Metacom in Japan. They put out like, like one six scale figures with the claws, and it's like mm-hmm. four hundred dollars. But you get different hands and different heads. And if they got light up parts, they light up. You be like, oh, don't let me get some. Don't let me actually get to that tax bracket. We about <laughs> to get mad figures. But let me tell you something though. I mean, there are people who spend all their money on this anyway. 
I mean, regardless of whether they uh-huh. can afford it. I mean, they're running up their credit cards. Yeah, this yeah, stuff yeah, is yeah, taking yeah, up yeah. room in their apartments and whatever. I mean, You're in right. some cases, they right. got like storage facilities that, with the with the storage locker or whatever where they're putting this stuff. You know, some guys aren't even telling their wives that they're buying this stuff if they're <laughs> married. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's some guys I, have know, secret families. Other guys have secret toy collections. <laughs> you know, shoot. I mean, and and this and this is yeah, very real. So you know. I mean, yeah. and I, I know what Julian's talking about in terms of that whole, you know, you got to be in this tax bracket and yeah, to if you smart, afford it, but, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, you dropping, you dropping this type of money. I don't like the, I do. Yes. I've met people who I know I'm making more than them and they got more than them. And I'm looking at them like, uh, you sure that's what you want to. Impulse purchases. Impulse purchases. Julian was talking earlier about uh, the 50-year-old men who love He-Man, you know, and, you know, hey, the <laughs> fact is, is that, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this nostalgia-based stuff, you know, and, you know, because, hey, you loved it when you were a kid, but then you get to be grown and you might have a couple of dollars and it's like, oh, well, damn, you know, and which is the biggest racket of all time, which is why they keep putting this stuff out, you know, and the stuff costs $200, $400. Shoot, I saw, and I'm still trying to find, I mean, I don't know that I would actually get this if I could find it, but um, there was uh, a xenomorph skull, you know, alien skull, and, uh, you know, like the Predators had in their trophy case in yeah. that Predator 2, and, uh, you know, it's like some, it's either, it's like some Chinese company makes it or something. It's $800, and wow. I haven't found, I haven't found who's got it. Like I said, I don't know that that's actually something that I would want, but... You know, I mean, I guarantee you, if it's there and it's at a convention or in some comic book store or whatever, there are people who are going to buy it because they're like, yeah, you know, Xenomorph Skull, heck yeah, it's the start of my trophy case, you know? But the weird thing is that I can see somebody paying something like that for art. Like, let's say you buy an original piece by Jim Lee. Or something like that. That I can get why you pay that amount of money because that would be considered an investment. It's something you can resell. But when oh, you don't think you that, can resell, resell an alien skull? Uh, it is collectible. So. But if you, <laughs> <laughs> you just got to find the price. Shoot, let me tell you something. You put that bad boy on eBay. <laughs> There are going to be people bidding on it, you know? Did P.T. P- P- Barnum say there's a sucker born every minute? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. Says it's a, the it's man a, who owns the lightsaber. Hey, that's <laughs> two lightsabers. Thank you very much. You remember what I was talking about cars in the in the vinyl toy market and art? Yeah, see? Mm-hmm. It dribbles down to other things. But the reason I say, oh, my God, because they got this new Spider-Man coming out at $622. Oh, my God. Hey, he's, he's one quarter. <laughs> He's one quarter scale, so that means right. he's a quarter of the size of Tom Holland. God. But yeah, Damn. that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like two hundred is an understatement, bro. They out here selling like, yo, you got, you got the the cost of a beater car of like a <laughs> of a 1998 Civic. Yeah, you can. <laughs> oh wait, hot? How you said hot toys? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Shoot, this thing is six hundred dollars. That's what I'm saying. Six hundred twenty-two dollars. <laughs> oh but, my god! But that's the, the it's priced that way because somebody will pay for it. So you know, if I had six hundred twenty-two dollars, several somebody, I would get it. <laughs> it has a cloth suit. 
Because you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. moves right. It has articulation. Yes, it has he, look at this. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a heck of a thing. And what's this base they got it on? What the hell is uh, this? <laughs> I don't even know what he this has is. A, he even has a cloth backpack. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Look at that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Here's the thing. What I learned, and I'm sorry, I got to quote Mr. Spock from the original Star Trek, the episode Amok Time. He says... You may find, after a time, that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. <laughs> you know? And, you know, that's like you get this expensive thing home, and you look at it for a while, and, hey, it's great. I mean, you never stop loving it, but you're just like, what else could I have done with that $622 that I spent on this? Yep. It's like, what am I doing with this? But one of the things that this brings the point the full circle is what you guys were saying about Masters of the Universe and having a 50-year-old man basically making a cartoon for himself. And I, sometimes I feel like we geeks love those things. We we love things today sometimes. Uh, we cannot let it go for a new generation. Um, and I, wa I, I get concerned about that sometimes. So how... See what we can get. With well, it's, it's not for them. It's not for them. That stuff is for us. He-Man, that was for us. I mean, you know, there was, in fact, my kids, my kids got, they got to where something would come out and, you know, my daughter is like, Daddy, did they have this when you were a kid? And I, no, not that, sweetie. <laughs> there was no Ben 10 when I was a kid. No, sorry. No, oh, actually, some Code Lyoko was something she used to like. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, that did they have Code show. Lyoko? Yeah, that was you know. A fire show. <laughs> like, fire. nah, sweetie, they didn't have that when I was growing up, you know. But I realized because so much stuff, I was like, oh, yeah, they had that when I was Scooby Doo. Yeah, they had that when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, Spider Man. Yeah, they had that when I was a kid. Actually, Ben 10 is a perfect example of a franchise that has been able to reinvent itself for every, every couple of years for a new generation. It's uh, quite impressive how they just. Let's try and reintroduce the same thing five years later for a new generation of kids, and it seems to work, which is impressive that they can pull that off. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is another example of a franchise that it seems that every generation seems to have their own version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in terms of the cartoon. Because they well, let them make it for children like it's thank supposed you. to be. Thank you. That, that's what I was getting ready to say. The problem is that Sometimes when you do these franchises, you, you the people who basically just want to get paid forget completely what the franchise is supposed to be about. Case in point, the first G.I. Joe movie. Oh my God, that was bad. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that was really bad. In terms of how they got so many bad ideas one after the other in that movie. Uh, so I, I think you can... Uh, find a neat compromise specifically between the, the art and the commerce without taking a concept like Teenage Mutant Turtles, for example, and making April O'Neil a black girl, which is fine, and making it work. Uh, that's an evolution of the franchise, and I think that still kept the spirit of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I didn't find it offensive that they made a change or what they're doing with Superman, where they're going to explore basically making Kal-El black. 
that should be interesting. I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. What do you guys think? Well, that is a very interesting question, but I'm afraid that we're out of time for this episode. <laughs> what a teaser. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, if you want more, you got to come back next week. Back to pigs. Of course, Fantastic Forum, uh, you can find it uh, online. I mean, there's a television version, believe it or not. And if you like the radio version, you're certain to like the television version, particularly the toy and game profiles, that, you know, sort of uh, based on uh, extrapolating on what we've been talking about here, because there are toy and game profiles that you can see as part of the television show. Visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. Of course, also, the show re-airs each and every Thursday right here on WERA from 3 to 4 p.m., and it's available as a podcast on all the various platforms where podcasts are available, thanks to our friends at thegreatgeekrefuge.com. So um, for my guests, uh, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Don't forget to come back next week. Same bat time, same bat station.